Today is Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. On this day in 1993, a task force of Colombian law enforcement units known as Search Block killed infamous drug lord Pablo Escobar during a firefight. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Carter Roy, from Unsolved Murders. His show delves into exciting true crime cold cases and attempts to determine what went wrong during the police investigations. Carter will discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story while I'll cover the narrative. Thanks, Vanessa. I am thrilled to dive into the dramatic end of Pablo Escobar's life of crime. Absolutely. Now let's go back to December 2nd, 1993, around 3 in the afternoon in Medellin, Colombia. Pablo Escobar knew the phone call had gone on too long. Usually, he limited himself to just 20 seconds on the line, any longer, and he ran the risk of drawing attention to himself. Since July of the previous year, he'd been working hard to keep his profile as low as possible, only communicating to the public through statements to the media. Today seemed to be a particularly dull afternoon in that regard, as his son Juan Pablo informed him that he had to answer around 40 questions from a prominent journalist. Many were about Escobar's family and the possibility of his extradition. The media wanted to know whether he would turn himself in if it meant that his family would be able to seek asylum. Escobar told his son to respond, my father cannot turn himself in unless he has guarantees for his security. The questions rolled on. Escobar grew restless, having exceeded his usual 20-second limit by a wide margin. He moved to the window and checked the street outside. He saw normal Thursday traffic, but nothing out of the ordinary. Then he ended the call abruptly. He decided his son had enough to go on. At the time, the only other person with him in the house was his bodyguard, Alvaro de Jesus, who went by the nickname El Limon. Pablo's concern for the call length was well-founded. Search Block had been closing in on him ever since they'd intercepted a different call he made to a local radio station days before. As soon as Escobar called his family, Colombian special forces were immediately mobilized. While he talked on the phone, they narrowed their search to Los Olivos, a middle-class barrio in Medellin. According to journalist Mark Bowden, it still seemed like a toss-up where the famous drug lord would be, until an agent spotted him in a second-story window. During the previous 16 months, Escobar had put on weight and grown a full beard, but there was no mistaking one of Colombia's most famous and controversial figures. There he was, in light blue jeans and a blue polo. Within 10 minutes, law enforcement descended on Escobar. 
The door to the house was made of metal, so there would be very little surprise to the attack. The search block team laid into it with a sledgehammer, while other officers stationed themselves around all the entrances and adjacent rooftops. When they entered, chaos ensued. On the second floor, Escobar's bodyguard dropped out of a back window and onto the orange tile roof. He broke out into a sprint toward the neighboring houses. Special forces by the back entrance opened fire from below, peppering the tiles with automatic weapons. Alvaro de Jesus stumbled and fell from the roof. He was dead when he hit the ground. Escobar followed shortly after, but with more caution. He kicked off his flip-flops and crept very close to the wall. But he couldn't stay safe for long. He had to break cover in order to reach the nearest unoccupied side street. The moment he was in full view, search block operatives opened fire, killing Escobar. The team inside the building didn't know that the gunfire was coming from their own men, so they took cover from what they thought were more of Escobar's bodyguards. Finally, the shooting subsided, and the special forces gathered on the rooftop where the drug lord had fallen. His blue polo was bunched up by his shoulders, his bloody limbs splayed out at unsettling angles. Though the body had been struck in the leg and the torso, it appeared that the killing blow had been a bullet through the ear. Eight members of the strike force paused to take a photo with Escobar's corpse, grinning in triumph. Witnesses from the street heard the victorious cries from the rooftop, Viva Colombia! We have just killed Pablo Escobar! Coming up, we'll explore the staggering magnitude of Escobar's crimes. Hi, it's Greg. I want to tell you about a fantastic podcast show I know you'll love that dives deep into some of history's most notorious leaders. It's called Dictators, and every Tuesday, it examines the reign of a real-life tyrant, exploring the unique conditions that allowed them to seize control. Dictators have a never-ending thirst for power. Some seize this power through force, others through deceit, and all of them won't hesitate to eliminate anybody who stands in their way. You can hear episodes on dictators from the Roman Empire like Caligula, World War II dictators like Benito Mussolini, female dictators like Isabella of France, and many more. There are over 40 episodes available to binge right now that I know you'll find fascinating. Discover the governments that fell, the lives that were destroyed, and evil at its highest level. Follow Dictators free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. On December 2nd, 1993, Colombian special forces converged in a middle-class barrio where drug lord Pablo Escobar was hiding. The ensuing gunfight saw both Escobar and his bodyguard slain, putting an end to his reign of terror just one day after his 44th birthday. My guest host Carter is going to take over from here to discuss the details of Escobar's career and his impact on his home country of Colombia. Thanks, Vanessa. When it comes to drug smuggling, there are few names that carry as much weight as Pablo Escobar. 
At the height of his power, he controlled some 80% of the cocaine smuggled into the United States, a business that made him worth $3 billion. But in a way, his reputation was worth even more. Depending on who you asked, his name commanded respect, awe, or fear. Escobar paid hitmen handsome sums for killing policemen. Not even elected officials were safe from his Medellin cartel. Bombings, shootings, and even the destruction of an airplane mid-flight have been linked to Escobar. These crimes made him the subject of an international manhunt. When he first surrendered to authorities in June of 1991, he even struck a deal with Colombian President Cesar Gaviria that allowed him to design his own prison. The facility wound up being more of a resort where he ran the cartel with little interference from the authorities. When word got out of the luxurious lifestyle Escobar was enjoying in prison, the government chose to move him to a normal jail. But in July of 1992, as Escobar was en route to this new prison, he escaped. Somehow, this flagrant life of crime didn't make him a universally hated figure. Countless Colombians admired his lavish lifestyle, and his contributions to charitable causes in the country were noted by many after his death. His funeral was filled with thousands of mourners who saw him as an icon rather than a murderer and a criminal. Perhaps it is unsurprising that tales of his death would soon be spun into a legend reminiscent of Robin Hood or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The narrative of today's episode was taken largely from Mark Bowden's book, Killing Pablo, The Hunt for the World's Greatest Outlaw. But even Bowden acknowledges that accounts of Escobar's death differ wildly. Some say he faced down the operatives head-on, firing away with two pistols and going down in a blaze of glory. Bowden is skeptical of this story, characterizing Escobar as a runner, not a fighter. But theories as to who fired the fatal shot that ended Escobar's reign of terror abound to this day. Was it Major Hugo Aguilar, who had been firing at him from an adjacent rooftop? Was it a member of Los Pepes, a group of rival drug traffickers who had joined the hunt for the drug lord? Or was it, as his son maintains, Pablo Escobar, who turned the gun on himself when he realized there was no escape? Netflix's hit series Narcos depicts Escobar's end as a flashy action sequence in which he guns down multiple search block operatives while fleeing the scene. But in reality, those confrontations are rarely so cinematic. Escobar's fearsome reputation may inspire viewers to see him as an action hero rather than a trapped man desperately running for safety. No doubt Escobar's son would rather believe that his father had some agency in the final moments of his life. But in the end, theories about Escobar's end often say more about the people telling the story than the events themselves.
I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Carter, for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, Unsolved Murders, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on the life and death of Pablo Escobar, have a listen to Kingpins, an original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Adriana Romero. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Don't forget to check out the Dictators podcast. Every Tuesday, they go deep into the minds of some of history's most despised despots. You'll get insight into their rise to power and the impact of their downfall. Search for Dictators in the Spotify app and listen free today.